0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the 7AM Novelist, Passages of Summer Edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, we all know that the early pages of a novel or story are really difficult to get right. So this summer, we're discussing the choices that went into a range of authors' first pages in terms of scene, structure, language, et cetera, and how those choices might help you with your own first pages. Today, we hear from the wonderful Jane Roper, who is going to share the first pages of her most recent novel, the Society of Shame, which was just released in April. Uh, if you, this is from the Washington Post. They said if you liked Lessons in Chemistry by Bonnie Garmus, read The Society of Shame by Jane Roper. And I personally loved Lessons in Chemistry, and a very, I'm more excited actually about Jane's book. So, Jane, thank you so much. Good morning to you. Thanks for being on our show. Good morning. It is lovely to be here. So Jane is the author of two novels, The Society of Shame and Eden Lake, as well as a memoir, Double Time, How I Survived and Mostly Thrived Through the First Three Years of Mothering Twins. She's originally from Fairfield, Connecticut, and is a graduate of Williams College and the Iowa Writers Workshop. She currently lives just north of Boston in a drafty Victorian house on a hill with her husband, singer-songwriter Alistair Mook, and teenage twins. All right. There's a lot more from her bio, too. She's done a whole lot of amazing stuff, so you can read that all in our podcast notes. But for now, I want to hear Jane talk instead of hearing me talk. So, Jane, if you can give us a quick summary of the book to give us context for the pages that you're going to read for us.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, so, The Society of Shame is about 47-year-old right uh, wife, mother, uh, copy editor, um, and Former aspiring writer Kathleen Held. She is in the throes of perimenopause. Um, she comes home early from a trip one night—never uh, a good idea—and finds her politician husband on the front lawn in his underwear, her garage on fire, and one of his, uh, one of her husband's staffers passed out nearby. Sort of uh, chaos. What she doesn't know is that her taxi driver has taken a photo of the whole scene, uh, which promptly goes viral. And in the photo, you can see that she has a large menstrual stain on the back of her pants. Um, and practically overnight, she becomes the unwitting figurehead of a new um, menstrual justice and destigmatization movement called YesWeBleed. Uh, so she is not happy about this development at all, but as she is thrust into the spotlight, she has to figure out how to navigate her newfound fame while also not losing sight of who she is or threatening her relationship with her preteen daughter.
0: Wonderful. Okay, I mean, this book is funny. It's damn funny, as well as dealing with these big issues. And you, we're going to see it in these first pages. It's interesting because in the very first chapter, you know, she's she basically seems to lose everything. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's really bad. Her husband is kneeling on the lawn in red underwear. These weird (laughs) and um, Nantucket
1: Reds. Nantucket Reds. Nantucket
0: Reds and and then repeating the color red (laughs) she has this stain of menstrual blood and i was like oh jane why did (laughs) you have to do that to the poor woman but obviously that is then what leads to the entire book so sometimes i I see that writers are a little too kind to their main characters and often it's because their main characters are like themselves um if you do that you're gonna run out of story
1: (laughs) Yeah, you should be really hard on your characters, as hard as
0: possible, yeah. As hard as possible, and I mean, because it's it's characters when they're broken, when they're under the shame, that we relate the most to them, because mm-hmm. that's when I felt closest to her, actually. I felt I was a woman with her in the bathroom. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and she's discovering that stain, and it's just, but I was also uncomfortable, and I was like, oh, so so it was all of that, and you want your reader to be there with you, um, and I absolutely was. Okay, Jane, let's hear from these pages.
1: Sure. All righty. I'm going to set my little stopwatch so I don't go on for too long. Day one. At 7 p.m., Kathleen Held was in a taxi heading home from JFK to Greenchester, a full three hours earlier than originally scheduled. It had worked out so perfectly, she felt almost giddy. She'd been able to switch to a nonstop flight from LA, which meant A, not having to change planes in Chicago, so a 50% lower chance of dying in a fiery crash, or so she reasoned, and B, that she'd get to enjoy a whole quiet evening at home alone. After five days with her sister's family, Listening to Margot drone on about the value of alternate nostril breathing and being forced by Nick to sniff and describe the various strains of genetically engineered cannabis his country grew, his company grew, pot, they all smelled like pot. She was starving for solitude. Her daughter, Aggie, was staying in L.A. for a few more days before school started, yet another forced attempt at cousin-to-cousin bonding. Margot's kids might have well been a different species from Aggie, all long-limbed, sun bronzed, and aggressively outdoorsy. But Aggie, sweet soul that she was, always went gamely along with whatever vigorous outings were planned. Bill, meanwhile, would have just left for the large and extremely important campaign fundraiser he was attending that night at a country club in Scarsdale. Had Kathleen switched to an even earlier flight, which in fact she could have, he would have tried to convince her to go to said extremely important fundraiser with him. And it would inevitably have led to one of the the silent, simmering non-arguments they'd have so many of before since he'd begun his US Senate campaign eight months before. Tonight, thank God, there would be none of that. No simmering, no guilt, no having to stuff her soft middle-aged midsection into shapewear and make small talk with smug limousine liberals. Instead, just an easy, sleepy reunion when Bill came home, the kind where the light would be off and she might even be asleep, but would wake up at the sound of the bedroom door opening. She wouldn't mind. She liked listening in the dark as he undressed the clink of belt buckle, the whoosh of cloth, a muttered curse if he stubbed his toe. When he crawled into bed, she would whisper a hi, and he would whisper a hi back. Then he would roll toward her, kiss her cheek and slide his arm over her belly where it would stay all night, heavy and warm and familiar. She just wished their bedtime reunions weren't the only times things felt right between them anymore. When she didn't feel like she was being squashed into a corner by Bill's glorious career. Maybe, she told herself, as she watched streetlights whip past along the Van Wick Expressway, she, wouldn't, she needed to make sure that Bill knew, even if the rest of the world didn't, that she was more than just a supporting character in his story. She would start as soon as she got home tonight. Maybe she'd even wait up for him. Yes, she would. With that small gesture of engagement, she could begin the work of nudging the balance between them back into a, healthier, into a better, healthier place. In the meantime, though, the evening was hers. By the time the taxi turned onto her street, she had started picturing where she'd be in a matter of minutes, sitting on the three season porch in a fresh change of clothes. She imagined some loose, breezy ensemble that she didn't actually own, having a glass of white wine, catching up on her New Yorkers, ignoring the dog. Instead, she came home to smoke billowing out of the garage. That doesn't look so good, the taxi driver said. Catherine bolted out of the car. The driver was close behind her. Is anybody in the house? He asked. No, I mean, yes, Nugget. Shit. Nugget shit? Nugget, our dog, said Kathleen. He's in there. She started toward the house, but the driver flung his arm in front of her chest. Don't you go in there, ma'am. You call 911. I'll go get your dog. My twin brother's a firefighter. What's that got to do with, you want your dog to die of smoke inhalation? What does he look like? He looks like a dog, said Kathleen. He's the only one in there but the house doesn't look like it's on fire. I can really just, big dog, small dog? A Yorkshire Terrier, small, with a missing eye, but small one-eyed dog, got it, give me your keys. She handed him the keys just to get rid of him and called 911. When she got off the phone with the dispatcher, she moved a few paces over the lawn toward the garage. The smoke was thicker than it had been seconds before, and there were now tendrils of flame creeping out from under the roof. The left-hand garage door was open, and Kathleen saw that the source of the blaze was Bill's 1969 Dodge Charger, which he'd bought on a whim the year before. It was completely engulfed in flames. In spite of herself, Kathleen felt a flare of triumph. She'd told him repeatedly it was a death trap. She'd been referring to its lack of three-point seat belts and airbags, but the fact that it was now on fire was not altogether surprising to her. Still, poor Bill was going to be heartbroken. She dialed his number and was waiting for him to pick up when suddenly there he was, emerging from the garage, stumbling and coughing, a spent fire extinguisher in his hands, wearing nothing but a half unbuttoned white dress shirt and boxer shorts. I will stop there.
0: Okay, okay. Um, That is enticing. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) One of my favorite lines, he's like, what does the dog look like? He looks like a dog. Perfect in that moment because in the moment she's so scattered. We are 100 yeah. percent in the character. She's not gonna be And then we find out the dog is one. I, I don't know why I find it so common. Yeah. It's very good. Thank um, you. Um so is this were these always your first pages?
1: Some a variant of them, yes. I always knew that I wanted to start right in the middle of the action with Kathleen coming home because this is the inciting incident for the whole book. Um yeah. And, and so I knew I would start right in the thick of it. There were things that I both trimmed and added, though, um, once I sort of got into the revision process.
0: Right. Wow. And so, again, the idea of the inciting incident is generally a problem that's introduced into the character's life that that forces them out of their ordinary. Um, And will oftentimes spur them to do something about it, uh, though sometimes you need a separate event for that. So the fact that you have it in your first chapter is perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, What about the, I loved also the chapter title, just day one, because Mm -hmm. it feels like, oh, we're already going somewhere with this, where there's already a countdown happening. Did you come up with that right away? Or was that? That
1: I, not right away, but I did fairly quickly decide to have the chapters be days and there, um, to, to give a sense that everything happens in such a short period of time, because this is all about her meteoric rise to, to internet fame and then beyond internet fame um, and to sort of indicate how, how quickly fortunes rise and fall when it comes to fame or if it comes to online attention and, and what the latest hashtags and trends are. Um, so yeah, it was fairly early on that I came up with with that approach. Um, Not every day
0: has a chapter. There's some that skip, but. um... Mm, Right. Um, And then you have this line that introduces the second paragraph um, after the very first, uh, the very short paragraph in the first page. Um, It had worked out so perfectly she felt almost giddy. And we know with that line that something is going to go wrong. Of course. (laughs) Absolutely, because there's no way that we can leave a character with something working out perfectly for very long, because we don't like perfect characters with perfect lives. Um, We also get this indication, um, a nonstop flight from LA, which meant a not having to change planes in Chicago. So a 50% lower chance of dying in a fiery crash. Now, (laughs) This is introducing a very particular kind of person. Yes. Um, So you're being very, very careful. And, and I think what a lot of writers don't realize they think in novels, they have all this room to just write and, and have at it, but really every choice that you put there. Is so important because the reader is grasping at straws, trying to find something to hold on to for the character. So if the character wears red shoes, we think, "Oh, this is always a character that wears red shoes." Or any any detail, we think, "Oh, this is the sort of character that thinks about fiery crashes." Um, And so and so and the fact that she's already thinking about disaster, and that she's the type of person to think about disaster, and then this. And fire, (laughs) fiery, fiery crash of a sort does actually happen. Yes. Right. Yeah. So then we get some background about her family. Yes. And I feel like you're able to do that though, because we're already moving. Um, It's also very efficiently done. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're already moving forward. Uh, We get her son, we get her daughter, and then we get Bill and we get that she's not all that happy with Bill
1: um, right right yeah and that that actually is something that when you're talking about what was um you know added in so it, it, what came out in revision so obviously we know from the get-go that I mean pretty quickly she wants to have the evening to herself right she wants to be alone she and we find very quickly she doesn't want to go to this fundraiser with Bill um, but I actually ended up later adding in a little more, this was from feedback from readers, um, a little more texture for to set up what their marriage is like um, so that it would heighten the impact of the shock of what she finds out later in the chapters that he's cheating on her. So at that part about you know what their bedtime thing with him sneaking in in the dark when she's already asleep, that was added. I added that later to show some of the tenderness between them and the intimacy between them, but also provide a contrast um, to, you know, to set up that downfall coming harder, but also like hint at the fact that, you know, the thing about where she says she wished this isn't wasn't the only time when things felt right between them was in the dark with when they're both half asleep.
0: Right. And I, that moment is really quite wonderful. And it is a tender moment between them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it rounds out what we might think of an asshole husband. That's just ignoring her, you know, because right. I think people could could make those quick judgments of the character. <laughs> and so it complicates our vision of the marriage. It complicates our vision of him. Right. And if he was a pure ass, um, we wouldn't care about the marriage. And so we wouldn't right. be as bothered um as she she is we wouldn't be with her thinking oh no Uh, we'd be holding on to that tenderness
1: right and even though you know it is satire it is a humorous novel it's you know throughout striking that balance of you know i I will fully admit like Bill is not the world's most developed character <laughs> but uh, and that's but that's by design because it's not his story and you know he's he's playing a role but yeah there had to be like enough there just enough there to get a sense of of their relationship
0: yeah and even in that earlier line with um so she's saying she needed to make sure that Bill knew even if the rest of the world didn't that she was more than just a supporting character in his story. Mm-hmm. So what is right there is that you've basically, the plot is basically giving her exactly what she was wishing for in the most horrible way. Yes, <laughs> because she gets to be a leading character. she gets to be a leading character okay I'm going to grant you your perfect wish uh, for your desire and and that is a wonderful way to to figure out the connection between character and event in your novel what do I do to this character that's really going to fit in with their desires and their weaknesses and their fears to really make for a cohesive plot and so it's just wonderfully done there thank you um And then, and so we have a sense of trouble, we have a sense of her fears, we have a sense of her desires. Um, And then things are overturned with the smoke billowing out of the garage. Um, And we're like, just, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so the taxi driver too. So everything you've put into these opening pages, you use, there is nothing extra here, is Mm -hmm. what I think is so well done. So did you always have the taxi driver from the very beginning did he already, always play this role?
1: He from the beginning I you know I knew that he was going to be the one who you know ferries her into this new reality that she's facing and that's why he's sort of this absurd character and I knew that he was going to take a photo. I did not he does end up coming back later in a number of ways in the story. That I kind of made like that came to me later. So he does appear you know, I won't give it away, but he does, he does come back into the plot later. Um, right. That was, that was one of those things I just discovered along the way.
0: I mean, that, so that was, was, great. I mean, he's, he's also wonderfully a comic character. And actually when he rushes in the house to get the dog, I was so relieved that he came out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> really like, Oh, Thank God the taxi driver's okay because yeah. I had really gotten to care about him like here's this goofball my brother is a firefighter and <laughs>
1: she's like and the house isn't even on fire it's just the garage but I, you know he still wants to be a hero so <laughs>
0: he still wants to be a hero and and I'm I'm with him on that yeah um, but I think a lot of writers um, they just race ahead and they have the plot all planned out ahead and they forget to go back to these these nuggets. That nugget. their subconscious has already nugget that their subconscious yeah. has already given them, yeah. And to continue to use what is already there as they travel forward, and so and this is a way to create a really wonderfully cohesive plot to always use what you have mm. instead of constantly thinking about what's ahead. Um, now, as you, what's your writing process in terms of how did you feed off? You said these, you knew that this was going to be your early pages from the start, yeah in some form that it was going to be right. this event um had you plotted out the book before that or did you just start writing
1: um i i had not plotted it in any great detail i knew that i knew that she was going to become you know i knew the about the viral photo i knew that she was going to be famous because of it and and this movement would happen um i also knew a, a later plot development, which is that she ends up—and this is not a spoiler—she ends up intercepting an uh, an invitation meant for her husband to something called the Society of Shame, which is a group of folks who have been, you know, shamed online or internet famous or canceled. Putting that in big quotes. Um, uh, so I, I I I roughly knew that, but I did not have like the full arc. I I had a. I had a rough sense, but, and, and we talked about this some, when I was on, uh, when we talked about plotting versus pantsing, right? So Mm -hmm. I, I pants, I I pants for a while, and then I, I start plotting more, more, uh, deliberately, um, once I have a better, better sense of the
0: trajectory. Right. As you're pantsing, are you, so I'm always constantly going back to earlier chapters just to kind of read through them to get the flavor Mm -hmm. of what I had, or kind of remember Yes. Get myself into the voice. Is that something that you do?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It it does help to go back. And what, you know, what you're saying before reminded me, sort of using things that are already in the text, it reminded me of one of my professors in my MFA program. He would say, like, start your writing day by going back and reading what you read the day before and meditate on the text. Like, look at what you've created. Now, the danger there, (laughs) I'll go in and start editing. But Um, I think it is, yeah, it is useful to like, get yourself in back into the groove, see, okay. And it helps you remind, remind you, like, what threads do I need to continue? What, You know what? What do I need to make sure that I'm sustaining in terms of who this character is and what the voice is? Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: and 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 sometimes I think it makes you more aware of again the the things that your subconscious throws at you, Mm -hmm. little details, little choices that you make, and you think, oh, I can use that. I can use that to travel forward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, And then the minstrel state. You did you always know that that was going to be her road to? (laughs) Uh, I mean. What, yeah, I
1: mean, once I really started writing, you know, I the 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 genesis of the book was I had this idea of, you know, I wanted to have someone who is very attention averse be thrown into the spotlight in a very humiliating way um that really leaves her exposed so at first I was like okay good she's gonna come home to you know she has to have a high profile husband and find out he's cheating on her in some way that's necessarily going to attract media attention and become public um and then I I was you know and then I was through the the course of just sort of thinking and puzzling through it was like oh I need to make it even worse for her and I need to give her something that's going to catapult her even higher so that's where the period stain idea came from because I was like what would be the one thing that would just make things even worse (laughs) like just add that extra twist of humiliation Um, and then I quickly realized oh okay that that can turn into a movement like that there's a reason that 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 was a solution that worked it was just one of those lucky lucky lightning strikes
0: but again, you were paying attention to what you mm-hmm. already had, I think. So yeah. what was the editing process for you in this, with this book?
1: Um, I So I set out to write this book very quickly. I wanted to do that. I had spent five and a half years on the previous book I wrote that, and it did not get published. And I was determined to just, I was like, I'm never going to spend that long on a book again, unless I already have, I already have a contract. Um, so yeah. I, I wrote through pretty quickly and messily more, more than I normally do. But I also, um, I, I did do a lot of sort of editing as I went. I, 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 did go back in, in sort of an iterative sort of way
0: mm-hmm.
1: again, more so than I normally do. Um, and that seemed to work well. Um, I, you know, I did get reads along the way. I was in a, a Uh, Jenna Blum's master novel class so I got the first 100 pages workshopped and then the second 100 pages um, you know a few months later and that was really useful to help me sharpen it as I went Um, yeah it was just not it was not my typical (laughs) it just wasn't right yeah it just came
0: was it difficult to really make that process switch like, how um, did you, or and were there times that you really wanted to just slow down again, or did you just remind yourself or set a task for yourself? How did you go about it?
1: I had little notes over the wall, like all over my bulletin board that were like, stop, you know, uh, perfect is the enemy of done was one of them. Yeah, Lighten up Francis was another one, just lighten up. And then another one was like, I don't have, I'm looking because I'm, oh, um, write shitty first drafts. And then the other one was like, stop doubting, worrying, second guessing. It had all these um, things. And it just was keeping me, like propelling me to just go, go, go. Um, but yeah, there were times when I was like, oh, am I gonna, Am I I don't know, am I just gonna spin out of control? But fortunately that didn't happen.
0: Yeah, and it worked. And so now that you're working on your next book, I'm assuming, or maybe you don't have time, because you're I, no, you I'm, keep, yeah. keeping the same process. So
1: far that is not happening. I think because I don't have that clear sort of like, while I have a sense of, I know the setting, I know the characters, I know the sort of inciting incident, but I don't have quite as clear a a sense of, you know, I'm not off like a shot on this one, which is frustrating. It's frustrating. And it makes me think, oh no, does that mean it's not the right idea? Does that mean it's not the book I should be writing? But for now, I'm just trying to play around with it and not make any decisions.
0: Right, because you've got other things on your plate. And I do think every book creates its own process. Yes. Um, and 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 I think you just have to follow that. Um, yeah. And you probably need to see through this idea enough at least to know if it has legs or not. Exactly. Um, before you can just walk away from it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. I think that is a good point to start. To end on, so that everyone else can get back to their process and back to their desk. So, by the way, Jane is reading um, along with one of our other past 7 a.m. novelist authors, Steve Yarbrough, at the June 21st Earful series in Watertown, which is just outside of Boston. So again, that's June 21st. And again, on the same night in Somerville, we have two 7 a.m. novelist authors, Jasmine Hicks and Julie Carrick-Dalton. They'll be in conversation at Porter Square Books. Um, I'll put details for both these readings in the podcast notes of each of their interviews. But if you are uh, local to Boston, I recommend attending one of them because I think both will be wonderful, wonderful events. Or you also, can go you...
1: see me up on the at the on June 20th at the Concord Library, and then you can g- get to see.
0: Me.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that's the solution. Okay. That's the solution. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was like, how do I be in two places at once? All right, everyone. Right. You can find our full schedule on the Substack page at sevenamnovelist.substeck.com. Subscribe there for updates. You can find our all our past podcast episodes. We did two big writing challenges, one in the fall and one in the spring. We have a lot of great authors, and a lot of great thinking about writing in those episodes. Um, and you can find them on Substack as well as any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow Rate and review the podcast so that we can find other listeners. Okay, one last question for you, Jane. Yeah. What advice would you give to authors about their own first pages?
1: I would say, uh, try not to info dump. Try not to try to fit everything into your first pages and in fact I feel like I did a little bit of info dumping that um in my first pages and I I had to scale it back quite a bit I still feel like oh maybe I'm dumping a little too much you know too many names and too many relations right in front so that would be my and I think it's inevitable in first drafts you may tend to info dump and want to get everything in there and you can go back and smooth it out later Um, so it's important to do that Spread out well, that I think it is like a clunk, a clump of cream cheese. The plot, but then you have to like spread it on the bagel.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and I also think that cream cheese is for yourself as the writer, um, because yes. you're you're basically telling yourself this information um in some ways and working it out lots of times and so sometimes you just have to get on the page but you just have to go back and remember i don't need all this crap yeah (laughs) i need to get this story moving because your story i i mean you do have those two small pairs but a family but it's still moving the style is still on fire it's still it's just yeah it's so fun um and i just i hope everyone grabs up this novel okay everyone um i'll let you go get you back to your writing desk and thank you again jane for spending time with us no, oh, thank you. It's been fun. There isn't nothing here at all.